As we continue our study of the book of Romans last week, we looked at this reality that walking with Jesus, the path of walking with Jesus is a path of suffering. It's part of the package. And so we don't avoid suffering. We don't run from it. We don't minimize it. Rather, we embrace it as a reality. We enter into it. But what anchors us is this. We have hope that a glory is coming. We have hope that Christ is going to return. We have hope that he is going to come and he's going to renew this creation. He's going to renew us. And so in the midst of that, we can stand. We can engage. We can enter into pain. Look, if there's no glory that's coming, if there's no hope for glory, then yeah, we might as well just be sentimental. We might as well just avoid pain. We might as well just disengage and chase after pleasure. Or we can just be cynical and just decide, hey, everything is terrible and I'm just going to be angry about it. But if there is glory coming, if there is renewal coming, if there is transformation coming, if Christ is coming back, this is what this means. We don't have to be sentimental and we don't run to cynicism. Rather, we have hope. And so I wondered this morning, are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? And I'm not asking if you're just optimistic because that can just be kind of a personality thing. Hope, Christian hope, gospel hope, is a deep-seated confidence that God is going to fulfill his promises to us even in the midst of suffering. So are you hopeful? Look, hope is one of the big three of Christian maturity. Faith, hope, and love. Hope is the enduring effect of the grace of God in our lives. To to live spirit-empowered lives, to be obedient to Christ, our hearts must be shaped in hope. And so this morning, I want us to reflect on what it means to be people of hope. And here's what comes with the package. To be hopeful also means that we're patient. Are you patient? Are you hopeful? And is that hope leading you to patience? These two things are connected. Hope creates patience, but in order for us to be strengthened in hope, we have to cultivate patience. So this is what I want us to look at this morning. Two points in particular from Romans 8, specifically verses 24 and 25. What it means to live in hope and wait with patience. Living in hope and waiting with patience. So our salvation in Christ is defined by hope. Verse 24, in this hope we were saved. We have been saved, meaning there's no condemnation for us right now. Meaning the power of sin and the fear of death have been broken right now. We have the spirit right now. We're in Christ. We're children. We're adopted. We have the hope of resurrection right now. All of these benefits to us are right now, not just someday. But we also have hope, the hope that what we saw last week, that Christ is going to return and he's going to restore and set free creation from from the corruption and the futility that it experiences, going to set free our bodies from the corruption and the death and the sin that we experience. That's the hope. That's the end of our salvation. It is in this hope that we have been saved. But hope isn't easy for us. Let's just be honest. Hope isn't easy for us. And why is that? Because hope exists where fulfillment and completion do not. Hope only exists between that gap of the promise made and the promise completed. Look what verse 25 says. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
We live in this gap, in this time, between the promise of Christ returning and restoring and renewing all things and that actual fulfillment. And that waiting is hard. It is difficult. And you consider sort of the pulse of our culture, it makes sense why we would struggle with hope. We live in a culture of instant gratification and impatience. And if that's the air that we breathe, is it no wonder that hope is difficult for us? So last summer, uh, Mindy, spent, Mindy and I spent part of our vacation down in Florida, and we did kind of a four-day uh, theme park whirlwind tour. So we went to all the Disney parks in four days. And if you've ever been to an amusement park, here's what you know. One of the biggest fun killers is having to stand in line. It's terrible having to stand in line. Stand in line for three hours for a two-minute ride. Terrible, right? So Renee White hooked us up with this website that basically runs this algorithm that will plan your day and tell you, hey, go to these rides in this order in order to minimize the amount of wait time. It's an incredible website, and it worked for us. The longest we had to wait, four days of amusement parks, the longest we had to wait in line was 20 minutes. And you know what we waited in line for 20 minutes for? Not Space Mountain, not Buzz Lightyear, not the Avatar ride, Winnie the Pooh. The Winnie the Pooh ride. Look, I don't even know why we got in that line for that and why we wanted to ride that. Just Jake White told me it was his favorite ride. So I decided, okay, I've got to go on the Winnie the Pooh ride. My point is this. We will do everything in our power to avoid having to wait. Right? Like, we hate waiting. I think as a society, we reached peak impatience when we invented apps for order ahead fast food. Like, we can't just go into the restaurant, wait the two minutes that it takes to stand in line, order our food, and get that food. No, that's too long. I need to order ahead for my fast food. I mean, when did we decide that two minutes was too long? Or how about this? When did we decide that going through the drive-thru and the 45 seconds it takes to order, turn the corner around the other side of the building, nope, nope, that's too long. That, that's repressing my freedom. I need to call ahead. We are terrible terrible at waiting. When we want something, we're going to get it. The gap between desire for something or something promised and that fulfillment better be very, very small. Don't make me wait. Don't make me have to suffer through the, the pain of not getting what I want. But look, we can laugh about our impatience. We can laugh about the apps and the technology. We can even laugh about the ways that we can get a little bit upset and agitated. But have we stopped to consider this reality? That our impatience, our inability to wait, is actually affecting our souls. Our impatience, our inability to wait, is shaping or maybe deforming our faith. Look, I know waiting is hard, especially when we're waiting for something broken to be fixed and something wrong to be made right. Look, waiting is hard. When we're waiting on particular change in our own lives, like we wrestle through sin and we're wanting God to move and that process is slow and waiting on that is hard and it is painful. And then when we're wrestling with someone else and walking through their sin and the mess that they are and, and God working in them and we're waiting because the, their sin affects us and that is painful. Look, that's hard. Waiting on physical rehabilitation or mental and emotional healing, like that is all hard. So I'm not minimizing the fact that waiting is difficult. But look, have we ever stopped to consider that the air of impatience and 
uh, instant gratification that our culture breathes is actually choking out our ability to hope. It's choking our ability to actually cultivate hearts that hope in Christ and the glory that is to come. So waiting is hard, yes. But if our hearts are being shaped by the culture, is it any wonder that when we have to wait for something and something particularly hard and difficult that we lose hope or our hope is very thin, we don't like to wait. And here, here, what, here what else happens. We can even begin to minimize hope altogether. Why do I need hope when I can get what I want when I want it? Why do I need hope when if I don't get what I want, I can just run to anger, I can just run to self-pity, or I can just sort of disengage, or I can go numb my pain with pleasure? So much around us is shaping our hearts to not even have to hope, not even to see hope as a virtue, not even want to cultivate hope. When scripture tells us hope is a virtue, hope is a fruit of the spirit, hope is part of cultivating maturity in Christ. And so church, we need to care deeply about hope because it is in this hope that we are saved. Deep, profound, substantive hope that sustains and carries us in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain and sorrow and suffering. So why is hope important? Why does hope matter? And how do we cultivate it? Well, to get inside of that, I want to use an illustration from one of my seminary professors, Scott Swain. He talks about how we can view the heart. And what he says is that oftentimes what we do is we view the heart like a cup. And so if I have a cup like this, I can fill this cup with coffee or with tea. And I don't know why I would fill it with coffee, but you know that's how some of you roll. Um, but I wouldn't want to fit both of them in there because that would be kind of gross, right? So I don't want both. It's just one or the other. And so in our life, we experience pain, we experience suffering and trial and failure. What our hearts get filled up with, sadness, hurt, pain, fear, anger, worry, anxiety, And we think, hey, in order for my heart to be filled with hope, I've got to empty out all of that bad stuff in order to fill it with the good stuff. And so what we try to do is we use gospel promises to try to empty all the junk out of our heart in order to fill it with the good stuff. But here's the problem with that. It's an over-realized expectation, meaning this. The glory that is to be revealed hasn't come yet. We're still groaning We still experience pain. We still experience suffering. For us to put this expectation that we can just empty all of that stuff out of our hearts is to put an impossible burden on ourselves and then rack ourselves with guilt because we don't do it. Why do I still feel sad? Why am I still hurting? Why do I still worry? Why is there still pain? Why is all of this angst still going on in my soul? I can't get rid of it. I'm a failure. Look, yes, sometimes sin gets mixed in with that. And we need to repent. We need to get rid of that. But we also recognize, look, sadness, pain, hurt, sorrow, certain kinds of fear and worry are actually good things because we live in this time of groaning. And it shows that we're adequately embracing the season. We're taking it seriously. Those kinds of responses are sometimes good. And so if we see our hearts like a cup, We're setting ourselves up for guilt and failure. 
What he says is, it's better to see our hearts like a scale. The more biblical picture is one of a scale. The heart is where we weigh and we measure and we ponder and we judge thoughts and emotions and experiences. And here's what happens in this world of suffering and sorrow. We experience those things, and in the midst of those things, they create things like pain and sadness and fear and worry and sometimes anxiety. They just pour a lot of things in our hearts that are heavy. And look, if this is all there was, yes, this would weigh us down and this would crush us. But this is where gospel hope comes in for us. You see, the gospel offers wonderful, here I got chocolate in my hand, wonderful, sweet counterweight to our sorrow and our suffering and our pain. When these things come crashing into our hearts, here's what the gospel does. Here's what gospel hope does. It speaks a truer and more beautiful and sweeter and heavier word to our hearts. And what does it allow to do, us to do? It doesn't remove this. It doesn't eliminate this. But it empowers us to bear it. It empowers us to carry these things in this season of groaning. It empowers us to carry them in a way that doesn't crush us. It empowers us to carry them in a way that God uses them for our good and his glory in our lives. And so the gospel provides a counterweight in our hearts. And the glorious truth of the gospel and this counterweight, as Romans 5 tells us, is that it empowers us to carry this sorrow and this suffering and still have joy because we know God is at work, because we know God is using this suffering for our good. Here's what Romans 5, 2 through 5 tells us. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Look, hope matters because joy matters. Hope matters because we can rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that joy, again, it's not just about having a bubbly personality. It's about having a deep, deep set satisfaction and happiness in God in the midst of our pain and our sorrow. We know he's going to save. We know he's going to redeem. We know he is faithful. And so hope brings life-giving joy, strengthening joy, sustaining joy. Gospel hope also allows us to face suffering instead of running from it. We can face it down and we can feel the weight of pain and suffering knowing that it won't crush us, knowing that we can live in it, we can work in it, we can allow God to work through it in us. Look, because of gospel hope, Suffering doesn't destroy us. Rather, we have joy knowing that God is going to use it to develop us. We trust that his power as it were, is at work in that suffering to make us more like Jesus, to make us more loving, to make us more gracious, to make us more merciful, and to fill us with more and more hope. Here's what scripture also says in 1 John 3. That when you have hope, you are more willing to fight sin 
He who has the hope of the glory of God purifies himself. We push back on our sin. We put our sin to death because we know, we know God is at work in us. And when we're confident in that, we'll fight our sin rather than giving into it. This is the power of hope. Gospel hope, as verse 5, Romans 5, 2, 5 says, doesn't put us to shame. But what this means is that when we hope, we're never going to be let down. Well, we're not going to be shamed for it. Look, sentimentality wants to sell you false hope. Cynicism wants to say it's stupid to ever hope. But gospel hope says this, hey, your hope is not in vain. Your hope won't put you to shame because when you hope, here's what you experience. The love of God that's been poured into your heart. So when you choose hope, church, when you choose to cultivate hope, you are going to experience more and more and more of just how much God loves you. That his love has been poured, not sprinkled, not dashed, poured into your heart. Why do we wrestle with whether or not God loves us? Because we don't cultivate the hope. We don't rest in that hope. We don't run to that hope. Hope is worth it, church. We need hope. And so let's live in this hope. Let's put our faith in this hope. To live a life without hope is ruin. It will wreck you. It will destroy you. This is where sin will leave you. This is where false hope of comfort and control will leave you. This is where sentimentality and cynicism will leave you. But the hope of the gospel, that glorious counterweight that will sustain you in suffering and empower you in suffering, that is a hope that you can hold on to. That is a hope worth living in. So we live in hope, but we also wait for patient, with patience. To live in hope means we wait with patience. For as verse 25 in Romans 8 tells us, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope empowers us to be, empowers us to be patient, and when we cultivate patience, we strengthen our hope. We're going to be weak in hope if we're constantly living in impatience. And so it is important for us to cultivate patience. But just as we struggle with hope, we're going to struggle with patience. Because here's what patience or impatience betrays. It shows we want control. Anytime we become impatient, we, we are betraying, hey, I'm losing control of the situation and I need it back. We, we want control. We don't want to wait. We don't want to give it up. We sort of see waiting and having to stand in patience as sort of a, an attack on our agenda, an attack on our goals. We equate being patient with sort of stepping back from life and being passive and inactive. Man, I have things to do. I have goals to accomplish. I have places to be. I have messes to fix. I have pain to get past. Don't ask me to be patient. And so we view patience as this thing that's, yeah, it's kind of nice to have, but we don't see it as vital. But if we're going to grow in hope, we have to cultivate patience. And if we're going to cultivate patience, we need to understand what it is, and we need to think through what it looks like to cultivate. So what we need to recognize about patience is it is not passive. It's not inactive. As biblical scholar Colin Cruz notes, the biblical idea of patience is this, not a passive waiting, killing time, as it were, until what is hoped for arrives, but rather a strenuous holding on to hope 
and doing good despite suffering and difficulties. Friends, patience is always active. Patience is purposeful. It's not defined by passivity, but effort and activity. It's hard to hold on to hope. It's hard to cultivate hope. It's hard to cultivate patience. Why are most of us impatient? Because we've never put in the work to cultivate patience. And why is that? Because it's hard. It's challenging. It's painful. It means putting to death things that we want to hold on to. It means being in situations we'd rather not be in. It's hard work. It's active. It's purposeful. But it's necessary. So what does it look like to cultivate patience? Well, I want to give you four quick categories for you to consider and pray through and take home today. The first, if we're going to cultivate patience, we need to walk by the Spirit. If you remember from our Galatians study, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're not trying to cultivate patience in our flesh. We're not trying to cultivate patience in our own power. We need the Spirit of God. This is a Spirit-produced, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-cultivated fruits. And if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we need to walk by the means the Spirit has given us for us to grow. And so church, let's go back. The habits of grace, feasting on Christ in his word, feasting on Christ and communing with Christ in prayer, feasting on Christ and communing in Christ in worship, resting in Jesus as we rest. Like all of these things are important because look, if we're going to be patient, hope has to have a really big weight in our heart. It has to be that big counterweight. And for hope to be that big counterweight, Christ must be that big counterweight. And so we walk by the Spirit as we feast on Jesus, as we commune with Jesus, as we worship Jesus, and as we put to death impatience. This is not just hat-tipping, sort of the obligatory, read your Bible more, pray more. No, church, we need God. We need the Spirit. We are desperate and powerless without Him. We need His presence. We need His power. And so we must run to Him, desperate, needy, open, ready to receive because he's ready to bring us in and bring us close. And so we run to him. We need Jesus. We need God, our Father. We need the Spirit. So let us walk by the Spirit. Let us go to him and find our power and have our hearts enlarged so we can be patient. So we walk by the Spirit. Second, we embrace the process. This is really where the rubber meets the road. Being okay with the slow oftentimes painful process that change takes and a painful process that we will walk until glory comes. Look, you and I, we want the quick and easy. We want the fast and the painless. That's not how God works. If, if you look at redemptive history, you look at the plan of salvation, you look at God conforming us to the image of Christ, that's all very slow. That's a long, drawn-out process over and over and over in Scripture it says, wait on the Lord. Wait on him. Have confidence that he's working even in your suffering, even in your sorrow, even in your sin, even when you don't see him working, he's working. He's working in our waiting, waiting on the Lord. And here's what this means. You see, waiting means we're going deeper. You see, we want things to go quickly. We want things to pass quickly because what we're really after is comfort. What we really want is not necessarily righteousness or Jesus or God. What we want is just our circumstances to go well for us. We don't want to live in pain. We don't want things to be difficult. We just want that all to be put past us. But what waiting does is it refines us. 
It takes us deeper. It starts to burn away all of those false notions of what we want and those false desires and those um, selfish desires. And rather, it leaves us with, do I want God? Do I want God himself or do I just want the stuff God can give me? Do I want Jesus himself and his glory? Do I want his righteousness? Do I want to be transformed by him so I can know him and walk with him and be obedient with him? Or do I just want things to go my way? When we wait, God is refining. He's deepening our faith. He's deepening the process. And that is good for us. That is good news for us. And so church, listen, when things are going slower than you want and things are painful longer than you want. What we can do is we can take a deep breath and say, God is at work. He is wise. He is good. And he is working. And he who began a good work in me will complete it. And I can have confidence in that and embrace the process. And if I embrace the process, what I also can do is I can engage my pain and suffering and sin. So we need to engage your pain, your suffering and sin. Embracing the process means you don't run from it. You face it. You deal with it. God is drawing you into a work and saying, hey, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to bring healing. Let's get to work. Follow me in this. And rather than saying, nope, nope, not going there. No, we can embrace it. and We can say, yes, Lord, I will. Look, avoiding our pain, avoiding our suffering, avoiding our sin, avoiding our failure and all that that comes with it, we're saying this, I don't want the grace of God in my life. I got this myself. God, I don't want to have to be patient. I don't want your work. I'm just going to do things on my own and make the best of it. Look, if you have the hope of salvation, if there is no condemnation, if the Spirit is at work in you right now, if you are in Christ right now, if you are adopted right now, if you are a child right now, if you have hope of the resurrection, you have every reason in the world to hope and every reason in the world to be patient and every reason in the world to engage your sin and your suffering because you're going to win. Glory is coming. He is going to complete the work. He is going to restore you. He is going to bring healing. He is going to bring transformation. And so we can be patient so we engage our sin and our suffering. We face it. Finally, we serve others in their pain and suffering and sin. Look, engaging our own mess is hard and requires patience. So does engaging others. Like really giving yourself to discipleship and serving and sacrifice, really getting into the mess of others, that requires patience. Because people are messy. People are difficult. People will hurt you. People are stubborn. And you can love them, and you can serve them, and you can do good for them, and you can try to help them, and they will be, continue to be stubborn. And so for us to cultivate patience, and part of the process by which God cultivates patience in us is serving other people, giving ourselves to other people. And when they are mean to us, when they say wicked things about us, when they betray us, Maybe when they hurt us, we stay present. We don't retreat. We don't disengage. We don't take our ball and go home. We don't say, I'm done with this. I'm not serving anybody anymore. Look, when all that mess comes, rather than running, we trust the Lord. And we love and we forgive and we stay engaged and we continue to serve 
and sacrifice. And in all of that, it cultivates patience in us. Church, the hope that we have and the fruit of the spirit of patience mean we can serve in our families, in our church, and in our world, and we can give ourselves to causes bigger than ourselves. I think uh, it was maybe a week or two ago, there was an op-ed in the Washington Post that said one of the reasons why there is such a rush to reopen our, our nation and our economy is because of Christians. And leaving aside the politics of opening our nation and how that should be done, just the, 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 the statement that the reason why there are people clamoring and fighting and yelling that we reopen our economy is because of Christians. And here's the, here's the logic. See, Christians have this hope of heaven someday. And so they don't care about the suffering that's going on right now because I'm going to die and go to heaven someday. Who cares if I get sick? Who cares if I die? Who cares if everybody else dies? And so let's be reckless. Look, I'm not denying that there may be some Christians that think that way and behave that way, but that is not what scripture says. One, that is the, the hope of heaven, the hope that we have does not make us reckless. And it does not cause us to be indifferent to the suffering of this world. Like both scripture and church history say something very different. Look, the hope that we have causes us to enter into the pain and suffering of others, to serve and sacrifice for others. Because here's what we know. The kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has come and it is a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and reconciliation. And we want to see that kingdom advance. We want to see people become part of that kingdom and we want to put that kingdom on display. And so we love and we serve and we proclaim the gospel. We don't run. We're not indifferent. We're willing to enter into the mess and be hopeful and be patient because we have every confidence that God is at work. And so church, cultivating patience, growing in hope, growing in patience means we enter in to the suffering of others and we serve. So church, let us walk by the Spirit and by walking by the Spirit, cultivating hope. But let us embrace the process that God is wise and he's know what he's doing and he's doing a deeper work than we would ever choose. Let, us, let, let that allow us to enter in and face whatever sin and suffering and pain that is going on in our lives, that God may work his redemptive power in us and may that carry us into serving and suffering with others. This is what it means to live in hope and wait with patience. Amen? Let's pray.